I am super excited to announce that we now have a formal partnership with the Prospect Wizard. And when I say wizard, I mean wizard. Obviously, you have a website. This allows you to convert your website traffic visitors directly into leads. It's not just another chatbot, and it's not AI, but it allows a visitor to call, text, or leave a voicemail. Immediately goes to you, your sales team, or anyone else in the club instantly. MIT shows a study that if you contact the lead within 10 minutes, chance of them converting goes up nine times that of the average. We got the Atlanta clubs on it, Vita Fitness, Gold's Gym, Mountainside, City Fitness Philly, College Park. Become one of the next Halo companies to deploy the wizard. It's easy to use. Go to theprospectwizard.com. Get a free 30-day trial. Talk to my boy, Dave Gallon. He will get you all set up and let the leads flow based on the wizard. Go get them. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of bringing a venture capitalist who's going to teach us on how to raise money, when it's the right time to come to a VC, when it's not the right time, and some of his stories along the way. So welcome Kiva Dickinson from Selma Ventures to your first Halo Talks. Thanks, Pete. Good to be here. Awesome. So you were at a big fund uh, at one point with TPG, Texas Pacific Group. Um, they're actually investors in, uh, in Crunch Fitness uh, to one of their funds uh, currently. Uh, so why don't you give us a little background on where you started there, what you learned, and, and why you're doing your own. Yeah. So I came to, I came to TPG via a start in investment banking, was working in the consumer and sponsor coverage group covering TPG's consumer group at Barclays Capital. Eventually joined the team. A woman named Carrie Wheeler uh, hired me after, after working with her team and really started focusing on the consumer and retail buyout world. Got an amazing training, both what the processes are, are like at one of the world's best private equity firms, but also, you know, generally the, the interesting dynamics that were happening in the world of consumer during that time. Really, everything around e-commerce and health and wellness was picking up steam. We were very indexed to retail investing. And I started looking around at the earlier stage and noticing some really interesting opportunities, particularly the, the better for you products that were making healthier living easier and more fun that were lining the shelves at places like Whole Foods and Target. Right. That ultimately brought me to a company called Circulot that was part of that early investing ecosystem of emerging consumer products companies, really supporting companies under $20 million in sales and launching their first $125 million fund to do so in 2017. So I joined them as a partner, helped them get that off the ground. And after two years, saw this opportunity for white, spa white space a little bit earlier in the ecosystem. Think Circle Up doing Series A through Series C. I was thinking that something in the seed and Series A world within consumer products would be a great place to generate returns and a place that a lot of investors were not focusing. Uh, and so I left in 2019 and I started Selva Ventures, which is now four years old and about $50 million of AUM. Gotcha. So, you know, maybe to, to educate people on the different types of, of tranches of capital. So you got TPG with the later stage growth equity shop, basically saying, hey, you've got a real business, you got a platform, let us help you professionalize that, optimize it, and, you know, get to over a hundred or, you know, $500 million type of enterprise value. You go to the Circle Up, which it originally started as more of like a crowdsourcing type of platform and then kind of evolved into managed circles. 
um, that were that were Series A. So the people here thinking about private equity, growth equities, TPG, Circle Up was one of the ways to get capital for, let's say, early stage growth equity. And then what you're doing now is really, you know, more of startup capital and friends and family slash Series A. So maybe we can focus on a couple, one thing to start, you know, crowdsourcing in general, you know, there's not a lot of governance and compliance on behalf of investors because you've got thousands of investors going into a company. What did you see it circle up that basically allowed you to say, hey, look, these are good investments. If we can put a, a manager or a principal on top of that investment to basically govern it, if you will, um, how did that help or hurt, you know, the dynamics of that platform? Yeah, CircleUp had had started, to your point, as a crowdfunding platform to just simply connect investors with companies. Right. And facilitating a transaction often meant anywhere from, you know, a single investor that would negotiate terms and join the board to a wide range of angel investors looking to just have an easy way to put money into a company. What CircleUp did really well was find some of the best companies within the emerging consumer products world, think Halo Top, Beyond Meat, uh, Simple Mills, all really great outcomes. Um, what they didn't always have is that like clarity on the investor side. And that, that ultimately led to a place where in 2017, they wanted to raise their own fund. Say right. rather than leave it up to investors to you know, join the syndicates and ultimately invest in these companies, um, we should actually raise our own pool of capital, manage it ourselves. And that's where I came in. That's where I left TPG to, to help them with that effort. I mean, no doubt, identifying the companies is incredibly important, but building a tight investment process, both pre and post investment, not only to select the right ones, but also to support them afterwards, to have a value creation plan that ultimately helps these companies reach their potential. It's a huge part of private investing. Yeah, yeah. So when you take a look at what you're doing now, you know, obviously you had circle up, you know, quote unquote on your resume, um, TPG kind of late stage investing. So when you started up this fund, were you doing deal by deal? Did you actually raise, you know, $50 million fund out of the gate to just to give us this insight? Also, I think entrepreneurs that are looking to take capital from venture firms and take capital from private equity don't necessarily understand how hard it is to actually for you to get the money for them to invest in them. So give us a little... Yeah window into that. Yeah, ha happy to talk about that. So I, th I think in terms of the start, I wanted a, a committed pool of capital that would ensure that when we showed up to an entrepreneur to invest in that company and said, you know, we, we want to invest $500,000, a million dollars at these terms, that we had the money lined up, that we were good for it. Because, uh -huh. you know, oftentimes an entrepreneur will, will accept the term sheet from from an investor, maybe they're going deal by deal. That investor doesn't have the money yet. And that can create right. a, a, a lot of turbulence in the fundraising e ecosystem. So I wanted to raise a committed fund that would allow us to have that flexibility and also have that diversification. And that meant starting small with what I viewed as like a proof of concept. Essentially, let's go raise $10 million that will show that this strategy works, that it's interesting, that not only will there be strong outperforming returns at this stage, but that the best companies will actually want to gravitate towards us, that they like what we have to offer. And so that first fund 
ended up being about $10 million. We raised it between mid 2019 and, and the beginning of 2020. And, you know, that, that fund ultimately got deployed into 14 companies and, and was the kind of platform for us raising our second fund, which closed about a month and a half ago and, um, ended up landing at $34 million. Um, in terms of difficulty to raise it, I mean, look, it, it's a, the, the, probably the biggest challenge in, in fundraising for a fund in general is, you know, if you're an entrepreneur that goes to an investor, you have a very distinct business idea that that investor is evaluating. They're evaluating your, uh, the market that you're selling into, your market positioning, the differentiation of your product, your experience. When somebody invests in our fund, you know, they're believing that, that we're going to deploy that into 10 to 15 companies that they don't know about yet and, and that they're going to do so effectively. So um, they call that a, a, a blind pool. Uh, right. and, and with that comes much tougher evaluation oftentimes of, of, you know, our process, which can feel kind of amorphous. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy to raise that capital at the beginning. It's a super rewarding process when you form those relationships with LPs who do back you. But yeah, have, have a lot of gratitude for the faith those folks put in us. This is Pete Moore. I want to let you in on a little secret. There's this company called Promotion Vault. And what they do is they give out rewards from retailers that allow you to incentivize your members without having to do zero down and one month free or giving away shakes or giving away t-shirts. What you want to do is build a rewards program that lasts, that people value, and that doesn't discount your own products and services. So here's the deal. There's something called Rewards Vault. The Rewards Vault is going to allow a member to set up their own profile. They are going to answer questions. You are going to get those answers. You're going to be able to target those members and you're going to reward them inside your club, inside your spa and outside of the club and outside of the spa to get them to become loyal, to get them to pay their monthly dues and to be rewarded properly for the actions. A lot of companies are cutting back on rewards. You shouldn't be. Promotion Vault's your answer. Trust me, this is real. So, so just for our listeners here, you raise a dedicated venture firm and you raise $34 million. Basically, when Kiva sends out either an email or, or a notice that, hey, we're funding this company, it's closing, you know, on August 31, you fund your allocation. It's not something you decide if you like the company, don't like the company, like you're funding, you're obligated to fund that, that allocation. Um, and that gives him and his team the ability to go and, and have a certainty of closing you know, versus an independent sponsor. And I kind of joke around, Kiva, that, you know, the only thing independent about sponsors that don't have capital is that they're dependent upon capital. So they should actually be called dependent sponsors. But you're past that category now. So, so welcome to the big show. Um, you know, as you look at deals and the amount of transactions that you could potentially do a year, um, I used to work in a private equity fund down in Florida. We had like, you know, 300 deals that came in. We had like 12 LOIs and we closed on like two deals. So give us a, a view of your early stage funnel, if you will. Sure. Yeah, we, we did this math last year when we were fundraising that kind of back to the origination of the firm. On average in a year, we see about a thousand new companies. We look, we actually talk to about 300 of them. So, you know, roughly one new company, one new opportunity per day of the week. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, or per day of the year. And then we ultimately invest in somewhere between three and five of those. And so the, the funnel goes down pretty steep. And, you know, what we, what we find over time is hopefully that number that we can talk to, that 300 number per person gets smaller as we get more focused and we get more clarity on what we want to see. We hope that thousand gets larger because that means the, the venture ecosystem is growing and we get calibrated. But all those companies that we talk to that we ultimately don't invest in are really helpful for us not only to uh, ensure we're seeing the right things, but they're also a great source of ideas. I mean, many of the, the themes that I have the most conviction on for the future came from entrepreneurs convincing me through their dedication of their life's work that there is a problem worth solving that hasn't been solved yet. And so right. oftentimes something that we pass on this year may be something that we invest in next year or the year after. Yeah, I think that's one really interesting point. And we've made seven early stage investments through Integrity Square. We're not making any new investments because it really takes a team to help manage through companies and then help grow them and, and provide significant value, I think is, is important. Um, we kind of thought, I kind of thought 11 years ago when I turned 40 that I was going to bat a thousand on every deal. So that didn't happen. I decided, okay, maybe I, it's not the best use of my time. Let me go and deliver these deals to potential VCs that can actually drive the business. You know, you talk about the one thing I always look for in a, in a, a new business that comes to us and kind of shepherd them on is what frustration are you solving and who are you solving it for? And how did that become a frustration you knew about? Um, so I feel like the best ideas are people that are solving frustrations, you know, maybe for themselves. And, um, yeah. and then they get to a point where, okay, this is actually a business. It actually has a revenue model. So how do you kind of nicely either say to somebody, hey, look, your frustration you've solved. I love it. You know, maybe you need to tweak the business model or the revenue model, or maybe you're not thinking about it the way I would think you could optimize it. But if you come to me with, um, to give you an example, like uh, Soul Cycle meets aerial yoga, you know, meets an elliptical bike, you know, in a uh, EDM, you know, rave environment. Like, I don't know if, did, did something happen that, that you got amazing results out of that? Or are you just kind of pulling like four things in together and trying to turn it into a business stew? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the first question that we ask the companies that we talk to and the first thing that is written on every investment memo we write is just why. There's yeah. so many things out there like, why are you doing this? What is the problem? We, we call it, we have, we have five M's that our, that our memo breaks down. And the first one is matter. Why does this problem matter to the consumer? Because we fundamentally believe there's lots of cool things out there. Right. And cool things are a, a great path to a niche or a fad. But it is the problems that get solved for consumers that consumers like to talk about with one another. And that ultimately breeds organic growth. So we need to see the results, the traction that we're you know, ultimately investing behind is being deeply connected to that problem being solved for the consumer. Got it. You know, when you take a look at every hockey stick projection that is put, you know, perfectly aligned in a 45 degree angle on revenue and EBITDA of an early stage company, what are some of the things that you invite? Let's say you're going to make an investment and you come through a terms on valuation. Maybe talk about, even if it's a billion dollar opportunity or a multi-billion dollar opportunity, 
you know, you still a company's got 500 grand of revenue. You got competitors. There's probably not a patent on this. So this is kind of how I'm thinking about what I'm bringing to the table and what my money is worth. Not necessarily like, all right, you're going to crush it. You're the only horse in the race. You know, I say, I think you're going to create a $500 million company. Well, let me just kind of hit the pause button for you, you know, sir, ma'am. And let me tell you how like the real world works and how this roller coaster ride is probably going to go down. Not sure if there's a question there, but good. We, we don't like to lecture them so much as have them have thought about how hard this is going to be and the nature of urgency. So you're right. There's very little moat to a consumer product. We think the moat typically is the real estate that you own in the mind of the consumer. When I say spin class dance party, you immediately think soul cycle. And Correct. so like that, that same thing happens everywhere across the grocery store. I could, I could try re refrigerated protein bar. You'd probably think of perfect bar. So that is a first mover advantage that you have to roll with and invest behind and make sure that the other competition doesn't catch up. The second moat you have is real estate on shelf because a retailer is not going to have 50 versions of everything. They're only going to have a few. And so that first mover advantage needs to get built on. When you're solving a problem for the consumer, you need to move faster than your competition. So we believe in that fundamentally. But the hockey stick projection really is, is just one imprecise look at the many variabilities of how the world might work. We get a lot more excited once we see a big opportunity to start talking about things at the unit level. Meaning, what does it cost to acquire a customer? Mm -hmm. What do you get from that customer? terms of gross product and, and average order value. How likely is that customer to come back? How often will they come back? How much do you, how quickly do you pay back your advertising spend? This could be offline or online, by the way. And mm -hmm. what will that ultimately turn into in a metric of either LTV to cap, like lifetime value to customer acquisition cost, or more generally in a business sense, return on invested capital. For every dollar you invest in growing your business, how much do you get return? The best correlation to company valuation that I've ever found is return on invested capital. Got it, got it. You know, I've go, uh, you know, we, we were in uh, what we call the halo sector, health, active lifestyle, outdoors, um, which, which encompasses better for you food and drinks, better for you uh, lifestyle choices, you know, destinations, what have you. Uh, brands are super important and, and brands do make a promise and come through on delivering on that promise. Now, we, we, as an example, we're, we're an investor in a company called Higher Dose, which is an infrared sauna mat, went all e-commerce, um, doing great. Um, they've got a brand promise. They're starting to do some things on the beauty side that might be more recurring. So when you take a look at a company and you take a look at a founder, you know, and they're, they're doing two hundred fifty dollars or $500,000 of revenue, you know, how are you, how do you and your team kind of, you know, kind of like look out into the future and say, hey, this is kind of like the cliff bar of like training or how do you look at a company and say, oh, this is like the next vitamin water if these things are done properly. How do you kind of, I'm sure that a lot of people have come to you with like a better, you've got probably got a hundred water related concepts yeah. and like drinks and like you can say, okay, I can taste it. It tastes good or it tastes like shit. Um, and I'm not sure if some people realize how bad some of these things taste yeah, when they go to market with them. So how do you kind of like look through and say, okay, I like the sector. I like the category. Not sure I love where they're positioned right now. They might not be the food first mover, but 
there's something like there's some DNA to this or not. Yeah, I think there's two pieces to, to it. The first is we get maniacally focused on value proposition to the customer. Really understanding again, what's the problem the customer is solving? Who is the customer? Why does this solve the problem? How does that compare to, to what else is out there? How wide a group of people could this appeal to? And then the second is if you're looking for the next vitamin water or the next cliff bar, you should know a hell of a lot about what vitamin water and cliff bars journeys were like. Sure. You're trying to map a pattern. And so we do a lot of studying of what brands came before that really worked or didn't work in order to try to match those patterns. I think that's something that a lot of folks are, are uh, reluctant to dig into, frankly, is like going back in time and trying to figure out what, it, what is the pattern that would have worked? What is the process that you could have flown RX bar, cliff bar, vitamin water, body armor through that would have told you to invest at the time that you're investing in now in the next one. Right, right. So you see, so you got that. So you're going to put that on the net for us or what? I'm just kidding. We've <laughs> talked about it openly, man. Seriously. Yeah. It's, I mean, I've, 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 I've posted on Twitter about it. it we, we call it the five M's. It's, it's a method of evaluating matter. What's the problem and why does it matter to the consumer? Uh, mega trend. What is the ultimate rising tide within consumer behavior that we think is like decade plus that's ultimately going to, you know, have you in, in, invest behind a, a, a trend that's going to be bigger when you exit than when you invest. Uh, management, what's the strength of the team? Why is this a group that you should be betting on? Uh, momentum or metrics, meaning like what traction have they proven? How capital efficient could it be? And then market, why is it big enough to matter? The Got way it. that we evaluate each of those things in the context that we flow it through, we're not going to post on the net. But ultimately, we've tried to figure out a bit more of a quantitative way to evaluate all of these opportunities against one another. That's great. That's great. Uh, so for those of you that are doing your SWOT analysis, maybe you can you know, go with the five M's and then bring ideas to, uh, to, to keep it. I recommend it. I recommend it. This is Pete Moore. Here's the last tip for you of the podcast. We are partnered up with a company called Higher Dose, higherdose.com. They are the leader in workout recovery products, infrared technology, LED light masks, neck enhancers, and other products such as PEMF mats and sauna blankets. If you have not gotten on the workout recovery train yet, your time and your stop is now. You got to get these products in there before these workout recovery and spas end up saturating your market, having your members walk out of the club and going into one of their locations for 200 bucks per month where they're paying 39 to you. Let's become an expert in workout recovery if we are already an authority in workouts. Higher dose, check it out. There's a wholesale code and we look forward to helping you augment your products and services to meet the demands of your members. And hey, let's get people happy, healthy, and sweating and the recovery should be just as good as the workout. You know, so let me ask you one more question here before, well, two questions before we, uh, we, we break on our first one. One is, what is the ideal size and, and makeup of a company that, that would fit into your, you know, out of the 300, you know, you might talk to 100, or you talk, you know, what, what, what kind of, you know, accolades do you want to see or momentum? And then the follow-up question to that is, 
you know, when do you know it's time to sell one of these companies? Obviously, you got a company that could be on on fire and you might say, hey, look, we might be giving up some of the future upside, but, you know, our goal is basically taking them from here to there. And then our our investors know we're going to monetize that and realize the return. Right. And, and kind of let the next group kind of take it from there. So to two-part final question. Yeah. Um, size, we're not so focused on an exact revenue threshold or an exact moment in time. We want to invest once there's sufficient proof that you're solving a problem we're solving and that you're the ones back and not so late that we can't generate a venture return. So yeah. that means probably the prototypical deal for us is investing in a company that's doing about $5 million in last 12 months sales and growing very quickly. Got it. In terms of when to exit, it's probably more a function of what the founder views as the right time for them and what the market bears in terms of strategic and private equity acquirers viewing it as big enough to warrant an investment, but not so big that there isn't value left for them. Sure. So we underwrite every single one of our investment opportunities to an exit at an enterprise value between one and $300 million. Pretty rare for a venture capital fund. Usually venture capital funds are underwriting to like a billion plus. And we feel like that leaves a lot more upside for the next acquirer or upside in our model for really outsized outliers that every now and then you'll run into without breaking the return model that our investors rely on. Got it. Okay. And then I do have a last question. Where does the name Selva come from? Yeah, it's a Spanish word for rainforest. We wanted to, we wanted to connect to something that would embody our value of not just healthy living, but incubating and supporting ecosystems that bring about healthy solutions. So rainforests are the largest incubator of life and natural medicines in the world. They're an incredibly powerful ecosystem. They also have this, this cool ecosystem dynamic of having four layers. You usually see the third layer, that, that canopy that sees dense layer of trees whenever you see an overhead shot of a rainforest. There's two yeah. layers underneath, which is where a lot of the animals live. There's a fourth layer that people don't know about, which is like a one in a thousand tree that rises above the canopy called the emergent layer. That's the one that we're looking for. There's one in a thousand opportunities that are really special that rise above the rest. And it's denoted actually in our logo, the blue stem, it looks kind of like a leaf, but the stem of the leaf is actually a tree that's rising above those three green lines, which are the, the other three layers of the rainforest. Nice. All right, I'm glad I asked that. Well, welcome officially to the halo sector. So if you want to take the rainforest, put it into the halo sector, health, active lifestyle, outdoors, you'll be our go-to VC group for, uh, for, for early stage entrepreneurs that come to us. And uh, so there's a good tutorial on the five M's and how to think about VC and also how to think about the right timing and, um, you know, how the way you think is important because, you know, whether you take a minority stake or majority stake in a business, you know, you're going to be there helping them, you know, take it to the next level or, or go through the, the, the forest or go through the ocean, uh, you know, with them. So thanks for uh, jumping on and for, uh, you know, focusing on helping us get to the next level of uh, Halo entrepreneurs and companies. Of course. Love the mission of what you guys are doing and excited to support it. Thanks for having me on. You got it. 